The Hodges family goes back three generations in the state of Florida, and Norma Hodges is the family's unofficial historian. The earliest record I have been able to find of my family living in Florida dates to 1895. That year, Angus Christopher Hodges arrived in town from Boston and began working as a printer for the Carmel Brothers in Tallahassee. He worked there for the rest of his life. When he died in 1952, he left behind his wife, Carrie, and two sons, Mort and Walter. Mort Hodges went on to marry Elizabeth Gilly, and they had two sons, Christopher and Robert. They also had three daughters, Colleen, Margaret, and Jennifer. Mort was Chris's grandfather, although the two never met. Like his father, Mort died relatively young and never lived to see his grandson. Walter Hodges didn't live to see Mort's grandson either. Walter was often broke in his twenties and had so many outstanding debts that Mort supported him. He never married, and at the age of 29, he also used a gun to kill himself. Chris's mother was a Sperling. The Sperlings lived in the state of Florida even longer than the Hodges, although the details of their history are more sketchy. Three Sperling brothers, Carl, James, and William, moved to a farm outside of Tallahassee in 1873. Carl and James were killed under mysterious circumstances not long after. William would have one son, James Carl Sperling, who would later become the grandfather of Mary Sperling, who would become Mary Hodges. Mary Sperling was the only child of Diane and Jack Sperling. Jack had two sisters, Celia and Shirley, neither of whom married or had any children. Jack, Celia, and Shirley's parents were a clerk and a librarian and lived a meager life in Gretna, Florida, until slowly their three children each moved out of the house. After that, the couple retired to Southern California, where they lived in a retirement community. Jack Sperling lived most of his life without a steady job of any sort, and he and Mary were often supported by Diane, who worked as a schoolteacher. Mary's parents were killed in an automobile accident just prior to her 21st birthday and never lived to meet Robert Hodges. Contrary to Chris's suicide letter claim, he, his parents, and the rest of his family got along well. In addition to an uncle and three aunts, Chris often had contact with his grandmother, Elizabeth Hodges, and two great-aunts on his mother's side, Celia and Shirley Sperling. Celia and Shirley lived as roommates in Gretna in an old house that had belonged to their father and was one of the oldest homes in the small town. Mary often visited her aunts and Chris would always go along. The gatherings at the Sperling household involved immense spreads of food and excessive consumption of whiskey. Despite the alcohol, everyone got along well at these gatherings, based on the reports I gathered from all parties present. The Hodges family has always been fond of traveling and visiting relatives. A lot of time was also spent at Grandmother Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth lived with her daughter Jennifer and her husband Gordon at the house that the Hodges children grew up in. The gatherings at the Hodges house were very similar to those at the Sperling house, mainly because many of the same people attended gatherings at both homes. These holiday and birthday meetings were typical American family gatherings. Lots of food, lots of alcohol, and little open conflict. Certainly nothing that could have aroused hatred from Chris. Colleen and Margaret Hodges were in and out of Chris's life like flashes. When he did see them, it was briefly, at holidays and the like. Colleen was married twice and divorced twice before Chris was in high school. Margaret had never married. According to both women, they had very little direct contact with Chris. Their interactions with him mostly involved keeping up with what he was doing in school and whoever it was that either of them seemed to be dating or married to at the time. Most of Chris's family members told me that Chris was very close to the uncle that he was named after. 
The older Chris Hodges is a semi-employed truck driver who drinks, smokes, and occasionally, I hear, smokes a little marijuana. He's always had a lot of trouble holding on to jobs, mainly due to his intolerance of people different than himself. Chris also is currently in the middle of a second probation period, stemming from convictions of one count of petty theft and three counts of drug possession. The older Chris Hodges, it seems, was the only influence in Chris's family life that was an exemplary according to the various accounts. Chris was always my favorite relative. Me and him just seemed to connect about a lot of things, like life, for instance. Me and Chris both realized that there are a lot of people out there that ain't exactly on our side, if you know what I mean. Chris realized that, so he was pretty smart. It just seems to me that he didn't know what to do to deal with those types of people and couldn't take their shit no more, and that's why I think he killed himself. Seems like a waste to me. I'd have done things different. On a darker note, the senior Chris Hodges is almost certainly the source of the weapon that killed the younger. The gun was unregistered, and the senior Chris Hodges was unlicensed, but he had friends who dealt drugs and had access to illegal firearms. He denies that he ever saw the gun in question, but offers no other explanation of how the gun got into the car where even he admits Chris found it. The only other possibility that comes to my mind is that a friend of the senior Chris Hodges left the gun in the car, and he won't admit to associating with known drug dealers as it would be a violation of his probation. Chris and his brother, Robert Jr., or as he was called in the family, Jr., always got along well. They weren't particularly close as they grew older, but they had been inseparable as children. On weekends and summers, we used to spend our time playing every sport imaginable. Chris was always better than his older brother, but Junior never minded until he got a bit older. While Chris became very good at any sport he tried, Junior wasn't very good at sports. He tried repeatedly to make the football and baseball teams in high school, particularly after Chris started to excel at sports, but he never made either team. He even tried to play basketball, which Chris never really played competitively, in order to excel in an area that Chris didn't, but he was cut from that squad as well. I had no real reason to feel anything bad about Chris before he killed himself. Parents and friends agree that Junior never showed any outward animosity towards Chris. This may have been helped in part by the fact that Junior graduated from Leon the year before Chris began attending. So there was never any direct competition between the brothers at school. Junior did do relatively well academically, however, and is currently a senior at Florida State University, where he is majoring in social work. He is a member of the Lambda 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 fraternity and is active in student government. I always thought he liked me well enough before that. I don't really remember any real fights we had. I'm not really sure why Chris did or said what he did. I loved my brother. My parents loved him, and it's very sad that he would do what he did. It's even worse that he would have to say bad things about people that are untrue. I mean, I could understand it a bit more if any of the stuff he said were true, or even had any basis in reality, but it doesn't, and I don't. I'm just sorry that Chris couldn't find a better way to deal with his problems. I'll miss him. As with his other family members, Chris seemed to have no logical reason to be upset with his brother, and Chris's words and actions remain a mystery, not only to those who loved him, but to the world as well. Not surprisingly, Mary and Robert Sr. were reluctant to talk about any of this. I had to do a lot of research on my own and had to sneak in what interviews I could get where I could get them. Mary Hodges, formerly Mary Sperling, spoiled her sons when they were boys. She went out of her way to meet or exceed every need they had. They always had the best food, the best clothes, the best toys, and the best sporting equipment. When Chris began swinging a baseball bat, he was swinging an autographed George Brett bat. 
He actually had two of them. One he kept in the house on display, and the other he actually played with. He told Mary that he could be a better player if he played with Brett's bat. Some of the star's magic would rub off on him. So Mary bought him two bats, one as a memento, and one as sort of a good luck charm. After growing up in Atlanta, Mary Sperling attended college at Florida State University and majored in social work. She met Robert while in school, and they were married soon after graduation. Mary said that the thing that attracted her to Robert was that he was funny, and he seemed to be so caring about things that were happening in the world. Soon after they were married, the couple joined the Peace Corps and spent two years in Africa. After they returned, they found that Mary was pregnant with Junior. After his birth, Mary stayed home to take care of Junior in the house and never returned to work. She spent her time as a mother and homemaker for the 22 years between Junior's birth and Chris's death. In the aftermath of Chris's suicide, Mary and Robert divorced, and Mary kept the house that they had lived in. She kept Chris's room just like it was when he was alive. She got a job as a social worker in the city. Six months after the divorce was finalized, Albert Poindexter, a childhood friend and high school boyfriend, moved in. The two are currently engaged to be married. Mary said she still doesn't like to talk about Chris and the circumstances surrounding his death. Several times during my conversations with her, she broke down and cried. Twice, I had to leave and come back on another date because she couldn't continue. Eventually, with my help, Mary was able to get through the story of her son and why he did what he did. I think it was his father's fault. It was his father that said he didn't have to go to church. It was his father that said he didn't have to study the Bible. It was his father that let him stay out all hours of the night. It was his father who let him listen to all that evil music and watch those disgusting movies. If it were up to me, I would have never let any of that happen and I'd still have my boy with me today. I will never forgive Robert for letting our son kill himself. Chris was such a sweet boy when he was younger. He never did anything wrong. He loved his mama and loved the Lord and was corrupted by all that trash as father let him do. Robert Hodges Sr. may not have been the greatest father in the world, but he was far from the worst. He spent a lot of time with his two sons when they were boys, but as they grew older he found other things to do just as each of them did. In college, Robert had studied political science, eventually earning a master's degree in the subject. For several years he taught at Tallahassee Community College as an instructor, but when he hit 40, he decided it was time for a change and he went back to school to get a master's in management information systems. It was during this point that he grew apart from his sons, who were busy with school activities of their own. On a professional basis, the new degree helped Robert quite a bit. After graduation, he got a job with Adaptability Consultants, Inc., a computer consulting firm, and started with a salary almost double what he made as a community college instructor. Today, he is a senior vice president with the same firm. Chris acquired his prodigious athletic talent from his father, who was an all-state baseball player at Leon High, where he played on two state championship teams with future major leaguer Gordon Chambers. As a freshman at Florida State University, Robert blew out a knee sliding into home plate during his third game for the school, and he never played baseball again. He does, however, always play in the upper-level men's softball city league, where his team, Adaptability Inc., is an annual contender for the city title. During the years that Robert worked as an instructor, one event jumps out at me. He was witness to a murder on campus. One student, Marcus Watley, gunned down another, Cheryl Cummings, in a jealous rage one night in the courtyard outside of Robert's class. Robert served as a witness at Watley's trial and was instrumental in the conviction of the killer. After that, Robert refused to teach classes anymore and became a member of Handgun Control, Inc. Even the thought that he would have owned a handgun, as Chris's letter proposes, is ludicrous to me. With the hundreds of hours I've talked with Robert, Mary, Junior, and the extended family, 
It seems impossible that Chris could have acquired the gun from anyone other than his namesake uncle. No one else in the family had ever owned a gun, much less allowed Chris access to it. The senior Chris Hodges may deny that he owned the gun, and he has consistently done so, but there is no doubt in anyone else in the family's mind that the gun came from him. Robert and Mary both agreed that Robert spent less time than he should have with his sons. He said that his motto was, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. He said he felt that his sons were doing all right and that they didn't need any guidance from him. Robert regularly attended Chris's important sporting events as long as they didn't conflict with work or softball, which was rare. According to Robert, he never really had any arguments or fights with Chris, nothing that would cause the hard feelings evidenced in Chris's letter. Eventually, Robert did speak with me. Oh, uh, I mean, sure. I didn't do all the things good fathers do, but I didn't hit him or berate him or prevent him from doing anything he wanted. He never wanted for anything. And I gave him a lot of personal freedom. His mother will say that freedom is what caused him to go mad. She says I didn't give him enough structure. I didn't make him go to church and all that. That's what she told the other reporters. I mean, here I am. In all these newspapers, this horrible father who killed his own son. It's crazy. I mean, to tell you the truth, she never said anything about all this Bible stuff until after Chris's death. She apparently decided, after the fact, that godlessness is what killed her son. Hindsight being 2020 and all. I've always admitted that she knows everything, so she must be right on this one as well. Hell, I don't know why Chris killed himself, and neither does she. Our son had some things going on that he never told us about. We could have stopped him if we'd known, but he never said anything. I was always doing so well in school, and in football and baseball. I just don't know what happened. I just don't know. It is difficult to understand what problems Chris had with his family. His immediate family was loving, provided well for him and his brother, and burdened them very little with rules or religion. The extended family was friendly and ever-present. Everyone got along well with each other and with Chris. There were no reports of any major disagreements between anyone in Chris's family, either with him or with each other. His resentment toward them is difficult to grasp. Beyond the fact that Walter Hodges committed suicide, there seemed to be no problems on the Hodges' side of the family in their entire history in the state of Florida. It's unlikely that Chris even knew of Walter's suicide, though, because the story was covered up when it happened and had almost been forgotten by the time Chris's generation was born. On the former Mary Sperling side of the family, there seemed to be even less conflict or tragedy. The Sperling family was small and close. Chris's only contact with the Sperling family was with his great aunts, Celia and Shirley, but his time with them would have left very little for him to be upset about. Other than loneliness, there's little that the two sisters could have had controversy about. The only bad influence in Chris's entire extended family seemed to be his namesake, Uncle, but everyone said that Chris was closer to his uncle than anyone else in the family, and nothing that Chris ever wrote or said seems to contradict that. No one in the family is aware of any animosity between the two or anything between them that would cause the younger man to have had any bad feelings towards the family. Chris's feelings about his family seem unfounded, and he appeared to have little reason to be upset with them. That didn't stop the young man from degrading them prior to his death. I am Jim Stormy Weathers, and you have been listening to the sixth chapter of All-American, A True Crime Podcast. Safira as Aunt Norma Hodges. Kenneth Quinnell as the voice of Safira in the credits. Jim Merritt as Uncle Chris. Professor Rex as Robert K. Hodges, Jr. Elisa Lannon 
as Mary Hodges, Kenneth Cornell as the voice of Elisa Lannan in the credits. Armin Cornell as Robert K. Hodges. Kenneth Cornell as writer, director, and the voice of Jim Stormy Weathers. <laughs>